we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On Buffalo What's Next? We're talking with two members of the Afro-American Historical Association of the Niagara Frontier. With us, we have uh, Charles Brandy, the president of the association, and Melvin Watkins, one of the founding members of the organization. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So let's, let's go back. 1977 was the start of the journal. Yes. Right? What, uh, what prompted the, the, the founding of this, of this journal in, in Western New York? Well, way back then, uh, Dr. Fordham was the head of the association, and we talked, and, and he said, we need some place where we can put scholarly writings from different people around the globe. So we talked, and I said, well, if everybody else starts a journal, we can start a journal. And it was uh, a rocky road to start it because none of us had done it before, hmm. but we went through the mechanics of it. It had to be copyrighted. It had to have a specific ISBN number, and it had to have people knowing that it was a place for scholarly articles, but it just does not limit itself to scholarly articles. It can be general articles about what's going on as long as they have the proper background and so forth. And uh, so we were able to start and get many uh, articles to come in. And that was back in 77. And we're now, I guess, on volume 44 coming up. So we're sort of proud of that. I, I was going to say, how many journals have started and faded away in their first year or two? Uh, Charles, you're, you're, you weren't there at the beginning but you're there now. Absolutely. So this is the legacy of uh, the founders of the Afro-American Historical Association of the Niagara Frontier, Dr. Fordham being one of them, Dr. Leland Williams. And when they were completing their, their doctoral studies at the University of Buffalo, they wanted to research on African African-American history. And there were very few repositories for that. So they created this organization to preserve African and African-American history in Buffalo, New York State, so that future scholars will have the opportunity if they so desire. So at the university at Buffalo, we, there's some icons there. Majority of our, our icon for the organization is housed at Buffalo State College, Butler Library. There's a whole entire Dr. Moreau Fordham uh, Center where a lot of the work has been microfilmed and any scholar can access it to go ahead and improve their scholarship. And that's how I met Dr. Fordham when I was an undergraduate at uh, Buffalo State College. And I 
help to microfilm some of those um, documents. So in the community, um, we have the William Miles African American Center. At Merrill Library, at right? Frank Merrill well, Library. Just stumbled in there last week. It's quite impressive. Very impressive. So some of our, our archives are located there as well. So the community want to access that. Um, so primarily the organization is to preserve African and African American history uh, as it relates to Buffalo or throughout New York State. New York State. Yeah. New York State. Yeah, New York so State. when a journal came about in 77, it was a more of a multidisciplinary journal, peer review. So we had a lot of scholars. Uh, and any time that we're using peer review, there are strict guidelines as to parameters of how the articles have to be written. And then we have reviewers that were on the review boards that looked at the journal, provide feedback to the um, writers, and then eventually they made a cut, they went to um, publication. Were you that harsh on them? Were you, uh, Melvin, were you, the, were you that harsh? So you, some, some, some didn't make the cut? Well, I tried to be the managing editor and not <laughs> the others. But, you know, at one point we had, um, we sponsored the, uh, what, the Afro-American, uh, where we had the meeting over in the hotel. At the Hyatt, yeah. uh, 2005. Yes. What was the name of the group? The Association of African-American um, uh, History and Studies. Yeah. Uh, the organization Carter G. Woodson started. Yeah, okay. so we had scholars from all over come to Buffalo that year, and uh, so people saw and so forth. And they were, they were named scholars. Um, the problem is a lot of the older scholars have passed. So we're now looking for younger scholars that can write and are willing to write about events that happen in New York State. And they can be events that happened yesterday or, you know, 200 years ago. It still fit. We've only had in our lifetime, I think, five editors, Monroe, myself, Seneca. Seneca Vaughn. Seneca Vaughn, yeah. Um, Steve Perez. Uh, Perez, Steve Peraza, mm -hmm. Peraza. And uh, Michael Boston, he's at uh, Brockport State, okay. and he's our current editor and so forth. And the one thing about this is that everyone throughout the years has done the work with no compensation. So that makes a big difference. I mean— um, That's a lot of work to do for nothing. Yes, yes, over the years and so forth. But it's a work of love and so forth. As I mentioned earlier, I even went over to McKinley to learn how to run offset presses, which I never, by the way, got any good at. <laughs> but uh, it's no way to sell a journal, <laughs> right? But now we we sort of gotten to be to the stage where it looks professional, and we have a local printer who is very good and does a great job and works with us. And then I'm, I just brought two of the journals in. And I look at uh, the articles that were written and by whom? Daniel Bo Boyd, and then we got Scruggs, we got Ralph Chowder, and uh, Christine Parker. She was doing, uh, uh, what did she actually, she was here, a local lady, and she passed, but she did on ten, Frederick Douglass' 10 Days a Slave in Buffalo. And she was doing her uh, graduate work, and that was part of her thesis. And then as of late, uh, events such as the uh, May 11th 
we have uh, at least uh, five articles in the journal, and uh, three of them written by people that have that you see on TV every day: hmm. Mark Talley, Garnell Whitfield Jr., and uh, Zanetta Everhart. So that in itself is saying that we touch the hearts of of uh, Buffalo and the surrounding areas. And we're always willing to do good uh, academic-style articles. And that's interesting what we – the three people you just mentioned right there. And I'd like to get back to that, but I, want, I don't want to miss uh, yes. the, the line about this. How, how deep, how far back has some of these historical efforts gone? What have we seen throughout the years of the journal uh, in terms of what people have – decided to undertake in terms of like we went like we said earlier it's a lot of work plus you yes. got to have you know you got to be able to defend it yes. um, so how far back have have we seen people go with some of their work well when i look at daniel boyd his is the power of proximity frederick douglas and his transnational relations with the british canada 1847 to 1861 so the the journal goes back that far to talk about what happened and so forth. It's not like uh, some people we hear on the news that uh, they don't know if history is history and so forth. And uh, a lot of things touch us. Uh, for example, the average Western New Yorker does not know how the Tuscarora Reservation started, but that's history. And if we were in Florida, uh, somebody down there would say, oh, we don't want to write about that. But we do because it touches us all. So that's one of the things that I like to push. And the editors uh, all have been, in fact, I just thought of it, we've all had male editors. That doesn't mean we won't have a woman editor at some point. But it's it's free work, so that's a consideration. We have had um, some female scholars on the editorial board, right? Like Dr. Lillian uh, Williams. Um, going back to what you mentioned about um, what Melvin mentioned about the um, conference, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. Yes, that's how. And we had a conference that was back in 2005. So, anytime Dr. Fordham or board members, whether it be uh, Dr. Williams or um, Sharon Holly at one point, or sometimes we've sent Seneca Vaughn or Steve Peraza to um, national conferences. We try to solicit scholars to provide a scholarship towards the journal. So when you say how um, profound some of the topics have been, we've talked about Cecil Briggs and the African-American, uh, the African Blood Brotherhood, a radical counterpart to progressivism. The late Dr. Felix Arnfield, Felix Arnfield, he wrote an article before he published his book on Eugene Nichols-Jones and the struggle to keep the National Urban League afloat during the Great Depression. So he looked at it from the New York State perspective and how the Urban League worked in New York and how it aligned itself to a national component. So we, the scholarships has been very broad. We, we have had articles looking back at the first uh, African-American judge in New York State, we looked at principles, 
throughout different parts of the state. So the fact that the journal is published in, in Buffalo, we extend ourselves throughout the state. So there's been articles uh, from Poughkeepsie to Brooklyn, uh, Albany. It all depends on uh, what the scholars want to want to write about and what their particular topic is. The one thing too, we are the only chartered uh, local history uh, organization that is Afro-American in New York State. All New York State. Yes, in all New York State. There are other institutions and other organizations, but not chartered as a local history um, organization as we are from the state. And and I don't know why, but that's it. But we, we welcome new members. Let me say that before we go too far. Sure. We are looking for new members. Uh, they can join us. Um, we have a dues, uh, yearly dues, uh, and it varies. And uh, we encourage all high schoolers and college and older people to join. You know, I'm, I'm looking here at a list of things we have. We have uh, the papers of organizations, the build organization from 1967 to 75, the Colored Musicians Union of Buffalo from 1917 to 75, wow. the Urban League from 27 to 1977, the Criteria newspaper from 1940 on up, Bethel AME Church, 1920s and 60s, St. Philip's from the 1860s. So we have a lot of things that scholars can use to go and find out what went on in this time. So if you pay dues, you, you get access to the uh, scholar, the the, the, the information, the journal. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. What? Is, and you know, as you were mentioning, and you're looking for members. It doesn't matter, black, white, male, female. Doesn't we're looking matter. Looking for good people. Good people. Well, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> we will have to keep good searching people. for them, right? Yes. Yeah, that's no, good. No, it, it doesn't matter. And um, we have also had libraries throughout the the world, not only continental United States, but throughout Germany, various places that have subscribed to our... The Germans have consistently. They do. And people don't realize that the Germans as a country have always had um, much information on the African Americans, you know, even back, going back, and even Africa per se. And uh, so they now have... But we also get subscriptions from Japan and so forth. And uh, it's online, so a lot of people only want certain things, so they go online and get it. And that helps us, too, when they do that. Uh, The modern world, uh, pull them out online. Um, But uh, we have things that are in the uh, Historical Museum in Buffalo, you know, so people can go there and see. And many events that happen locally, uh, the election. In, in fact, in one of the f- very first journals, I remember a guy wrote about Art Eve running for mayor. Hmm. He was the first African American to do it. And that was either in the first journal or the second one, and so forth. So events that happen, just like the May 14th thing, um, they are noted and they're here, and uh, we have them in the journal, and so forth. And we're always happy to have scholars give their view of what happened. 
We'll get right back to our conversation on Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Not sure what you want to watch tonight? We've got you covered. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to see what's on WNED-PBS, WNED-Create, and WNED-PBS Kids. Click the primetime button to see what's on tonight. You can also search for your favorite programs in the search bar or look for programs by date and time. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule and start making your viewing plans now. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. We're talking now this morning uh, with Melvin Watkins and also uh, Charles Brandy of the Afro-American Historical Association of the Niagara Frontier and specifically their uh, journal, the Afro-Americans in New York, Life and History. 44 years strong. Do I have that about 40? Yeah, that's, 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 that's going it's And going we, you notice we say life and history. Yes. It doesn't always have to be strictly history. It can be, there have been things about uh, women's clubs, and uh, we've done articles on those. And that's certainly not really history, but the life and how they lived and what they did, that's, you know, useful when you're doing research. Well, like you said, you want to have, good people, you want to have more members. Yes. At the same time, not everybody is really a historian. They're not a scholar, and yet, you know, the, there's some pressure to doing this and doing this right. right. Can, can you help do you help them through the, the process, or is it more, let's see what you got, and we'll, well get we, our red pen out, and we'll see what we have for you when you're done? Well, our programming that we have throughout the fiscal year aligns itself to the whole entire purpose of the organization, which is to preserve African African American history. So um, annually in January, the Sunday prior to Dr. King's um, birthday, we always uh, have a a speaker series. Uh, And we bring in scholars from all over the country. We try to make sure we highlight some of our local scholars. Like recently, we brought in a young scholar, Dr. Douglas Halston. He's a obtained his uh, PhD from University of Buffalo. He's now working at Buffalo State College. And he talked about John Herringism and mm-hmm. how it relates to um, Dr. King and Dr. King's uh, message of nonviolence. And we have had presentation in the past. We brought in Dr. Clapp from North Carolina, and she talked about African-Americans' um, funerals and, and the history of it. Uh, and how African-Americans, because they could not be buried in cemeteries that were non-segregated uh, cemeteries, sometimes the um, funerals were held at homes, and then they had to go to black-only cemeteries. And now things have changed. Um, African-Americans can be buried in diverse, uh, non-segregated uh, cemeteries. But the history of that, we, we cannot lose it. And future generations and scholars have to be, have access to that. So we brought her in, and she spoke uh, eloquently about that topic. And we, she even had a book um, 
and there were opportunities for individuals to purchase a book. Um, and then prior to the pandemic, I think it was yeah. 2019, we brought in a scholar from um, SUNY Unanata, and she wrote the Green Book. Yes, and, yes. Um, ah, okay. Um, yes. Um, and the Green her, Book was something that the average American could deal with and understand. And then there was a movie made of it afterwards and all. But the Green Book was that. But uh, another thing uh, we've had in the past, uh, the African-American uh, Ancestral Heritage Tour of Forest Lawn. And we had that, and people would go. Uh, we had a bus tour of it, and they would go to the various grave sites and talk about the people that were buried there. And a lot of Buffalonians from the 50s and 40s and 30s and so forth. When we look now, we see uh, uh, places being restored. And one of them was, what's the club uh, um, on Michigan? The Color Musician Club? In that one and the one around the corner. Little Harlem? Little Harlem, mm -hmm. yes. It's, uh, it was there. And people don't know, but at the time, I think there were actually two clubs on. One was down by the train station, and the other was on, uh, I think, Mich not Michigan, but uh, the street that runs parallel to Seneca and all. It changed now. Uh, yeah, there was a club there. Yeah. And, and older people now can identify it when right. you talk to them and all. Um, How about this for a, a general conversation, break into it for just a minute here. How important is the history of the Afri African-American to the typical African-American, the typical black person? How important is the history? How important should the history be? Well, to give you an example, on the waterfront near the... Uh, Near these battleships, we just have put in the uh, stones for all the servicemen that, I shouldn't say all, for, for servicemen that served in the U.S. Uh, Armed Forces. And many families go there now to visit and talk about their relative, that maybe uh, an older person's brother got killed in the war. Uh, but uh, when they put that uh, monument in, what is it, the seven pillars, is it? Um, the, the, the new um, African-American um, monument. Yes, that's unique. Veterans monument. Right. That's unique in, in the U.S., that particular one. It's the only it, one. Yeah. Only one in the entire country. Yeah, and like that, that, that honors veterans from every war and all. I even have a, a stone there and so forth, and a lot of other people do, and so... That means that you have like the Jesse Clipper post and other posts around that are dedicated to um, the history of blacks going in the service and fighting in wars. Um, you have the Buffalo soldiers that are over in Rochester. They talk about it and so forth. And the fact that uh, people look around and they see pictures of Frederick Douglass. He was the most photographed man of his time. You know, and he was in Rochester, and I think that's the reason why, because Kodak and right. Eastman, it was George Eastman back then, and he managed to get, not only because he had this paper, the North Star, which was distributed throughout the Northeast, but uh, 
he was able to be the most photographed guy. And you'll see pictures of him at various stages of his life and so forth. So the average uh, African-American comes in contact with their history in many different ways and so forth. Um, a lot of the symbols that we have, we didn't want to have. You know, nobody wanted to have Aunt Jemima <laughs> and things of that nature. But there are reasons for it. And, and now the young people might ask, a teenager might ask, well, why'd you have this picture? And then a parent could go into history and tell, well, this is how that came about. So there have been uh, reasons for to write down the history so we have it. And there's so much to write, you know, that in every war that the U.S. has fought, there's been black soldiers, even up, you know, and before the Civil War, the French and Indian War, there's been black people that fought in it. And that's uh, when people do their research, they find that to be the case. What was Christmas Addicts? You may know better than I. I'm old. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Revolutionary War. Yeah. But going back to, um, as picking back what yes. Melvin said, um, we have to make sure that African Americans have an opportunity to have a role in in uh, controlling the narrative as it relates to African African American history in the United States. Because currently, we see what's taking place in Florida was taking place in, in other parts of the city where African-American history is being censored, whether it be the AP, uh, African-American uh, history course. Uh, some people have this mindset of, or, well, this liberal woke. Um, whatever. The, yeah, whatever that the, means. The, the <laughs> consistency of what we um, as an organization try to provide is, regardless of who's the, pre who's the president, uh, vice president, and so forth, we got to make sure that African and African American history uh, is preserved and is there for the generation to come, is there for the current generation, is there for scholars. But we need to make sure that someone um, accurately and, and scholarly uh, communicate that and, and convey that um, to the wider public um, and to our, our young people. So. That's why uh, when I refer to Dr. Gretchen Soren, um, she was the one that wrote the uh, Green Book, and mm -hmm. she kind of talked about the Green Book as it relates to New York State. Where were the different places uh, in New York State that African Americans uh, could go to for refuge and, and to find a, a place to lodge? And, and, and the Green Book told, if you came to a, a city, um, it told you where you could go, um, for lodging, and um, ironically enough, Little Harlem was one of those sites. Right. But it also had places where you can go um, and get your hair cut, or you can go and get a meal. Because at the time, it was unsafe for African Americans to be in some spaces. Uh, and we don't want to go back to that. We don't want to act like that has never happened. We want to accurately uh, display what happened, and we want to say, encourage scholars to say, okay, Let's go back and research those, and let's also research some of the things that are taking place now. So that's why when um, Melvin referred to our May uh, 14 uh, edition, that was something that was immediate. That was something that happened. It happened right here in Buffalo, um, and it was something that it had to be documented. 
And this is not, this was the most uh, horrendous act uh, that happened in Buffalo. But Buffalonians have been um, victims of uh, white supremacy with a 22 caliber sh uh, shooting. Um, and some of the young people now have no idea about a 22 caliber right. shooting. So things like um, the Bill Movement that um, Melvin mentioned, um, which was the first community charter school, um, and you had advocates that worked very hard uh, to make sure that um, African Americans can control their own narrative. Um, and within the journal, we have people like um, Reverend um, Nash, uh, who was the pastor of the Michigan Avenue Baptist Church. But we also had Mary Talbert, who was a parishioner at the church, and everything that she did with the Phyllis, the Phyllis uh, Wigley Club, um, making sure that that group preserved um, Harriet Tubman, made sure that Harriet Tubman had a pension until she passed. They also helped to make sure that they preserved Frederick Douglass' home in Washington, D.C., so anyone can be able to see it. So um, the, the breadth and depth of the journal is extremely uh, diverse, but it, the consistency is, is focusing on African African American history. Let me just ask you this before, Melvin. I'm going to put this back to Charles Moore toward, toward his day job, which is with the, the, the uh, um, Buffalo Public School District. Is there a, dr a drive? Can, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you, how much time you really spend in the classrooms these days, but are kids, are they finding that? Are they, is there a sense of uh, kids that want to know this history, that want to embrace this history, that want to learn from the lessons of this history? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the unique thing about uh, the Buffalo Public Schools, and I think the Buffalo Public Schools is far ahead of, of most districts. Um, one of the first things that I did um, some years ago is I brought in um, Amistad um, online programming. It came from New Jersey, um, and it was a, a whole entire web base because when people talked about um, looking and researching African-American history, the first thing to say um, the first excuse is I don't have the time. Right. How am I going to fit that in my daily uh, instructional time? So the premise behind that was to provide a web-based um, opportunity for educators, um, classroom teachers, principals, so forth, to just be able to have access to it and for students and parents. Since that time, um, we have really been intentional about it and we have a whole entire division um cultural linguistic responsive initiative under the leadership of uh, dr uh, fatima morale where her and her team work in conjunction with uh, content area um directors to make sure that the content and focus on african-american history is there um and making sure that uh, resources are provided, is constantly updated, um, so they have a emancipation curriculum um, that have been uh, generated. So Buffalo has been at the forefront um, of this and making sure that uh, African African American history is um, maintained, is taught um, from the principals to coaches to uh, students. Um, the district has um, 
scholars that come in and, and learn about African-American history, and then the scholars in turn teach their peers, and they also teach adults. Um, because the best way that anybody can learn is can you teach it to somebody else? Mm-hmm. You can have all of the um, content information, but can you teach it to somebody else? So that's the unique part of it. So there have been ongoing um, professional development um, within the Buffalo Public Schools. So it's really a constant. It's, it's constant. Yeah. It's not a one-stop. Yep. It's constant. And uh, thankfully, the um, state of New York has adopted some of the um, <coughs> strategies that we've had, and now the state has a more culturally um, responsive component that they use the framework that Buffalo has. So it kind of goes back to Buffalo is a place where you have a lot of wonderful things taking place. Um, Sometimes people do not know about it, and sometimes people do not um, take advantage of it. And in this case, we want to make sure that the public understands that what the Afro-Afro-American Historical Association of Niagara Frontier is doing. Uh, As a matter of fact, we had Dr. Morell as one of our speakers in 2021. Yeah. Talking about what she is doing in the Buffalo Public Schools and how it relates and how it supports Dr. King's initiative. Yeah. Um, Here's another consideration. Today, one of the things we hear and we see in the paper if we read, in 36 states, they're trying to cut what public libraries and school libraries have as resources, books and magazines and so forth. And this, this is a way to cut how far kids learn and what they learn, you know. And, and that's, that's terrible to say that um, the books that they're wanting to ban now have been in libraries for, you know, 50 years. All of a sudden they want to ban them. And why? They can't tell you why. And most of the people have, that want to ban them have not um, read the books there's some organization, Mother's Something, I won't quote it. Right. But they're out there. Uh, and people, the reporters ask them, well, have you read the book? And the answer is no. And if you're a parent, you want the kid to read up to their ability. You don't want them reading something that's beyond their ability. So you watch and you go to the library and you help them. But what the, these other people are saying they're too lazy to do that. They want to ban everything that's above the kid's head, and that's just not right. And one of the things, too, um, the advantage of having our journals is that they're hard copy. A kid can pick it up and read it as they see fit and then put it down. And a child knows when they read a book if it's too far ahead of them that they can't grasp whatever the subject matter is. So that's one of the reasons why we keep doing paper editions. We want people to be able to pick them up and read it and so forth. And that has started to happen in many places, but in many places like Florida, <laughs> they're still trying to ban books. And, and that's something that George Orwell talked about, what, 50, 100 years ago he talked about right. when he wrote his book. And now they're going backwards, and they are backwards when they do that because the kids are going to figure out what's what 
and so forth, and you can't stop it. You can't stop it. The Germans couldn't stop it. You know, nobody can stop it. So people are going to read, and we want to make sure they have a variety of things to read, a variety of people's lives to talk about, and so forth. And that's one of the reasons the journal's being published. And we, uh, we encourage people to join us, and we encourage people to become members. And we even would like to have people in the small towns look at. We had one, uh, one guy, uh, Christopher Ramonchek. He's in uh, Allegheny County. Okay. And he wrote for the journal, and he happens to be a, a teacher, I think, at Alfred or someplace like that. So, what did he write about? Do you remember off the top of your head there? Glowing embers in the burn over district. The one, the second uh, one from the bottom. Yes, yes, yes. Second one from the bottom. Yeah, Frederick Douglass, 1851, yeah. Allegheny County, New York. Wow. Yeah. So there are tons of, of great um, facts and details um, that the general public may not be aware of if they do not participate and um, have access to this. Now, we do, the journals, uh, we do have some public libraries uh, that subscribes to it. Yeah. Uh, so the journal is available there, uh, Buffalo Area County Library. Um, in most of the uh, institutions of higher education, whether it be University of Buffalo, Buffalo State yeah. College, it's there. The unique thing about it is the Afro-American, Afro-Americans in New York life and history is part of American history. Everything that we're talking about is part of American history. It's just sometimes you may not find them in um, the textbooks because sometimes they are neglected, they're censored. Um, so that's why it's important for us to continue this legacy uh, established by um, the founders of the Afro-American Historical Association of Niagara Frontier to make sure that this information is available, widely available, um, for anyone that wants to access it and um and anyone who want to contribute to it of course there are formats and protocols they have to adhere to but the the opportunity is there and that's the key and that's why we are around to make sure that we continue to preserve african african american history and we continue to focus on this work uh, focus and make sure that uh, we bring um some things that it may not be in the uh, wide stream media, um, whether it be online or in print, we have both access, uh, opportunities for young people or anyone who are interested in learning more about Afri African African Americans as um, Americans. Well, also one of the things we note is that in America today, there are fewer hard copy daily newspapers mm -hmm. than ever before. Buffalo has one, and when you pick it up, you wonder where the rest of it is. <laughs> <laughs> but many of the small towns don't have any newspapers. And so the only place people can get them is off of TV or something of that nature. But uh, it's still something that people want to do, and people do read and so forth. I know I pick up a newspaper every day, and sometimes even I pick up the New York Times because they have a different 
look and, and a perspective on what happens in different areas. So we're encouraging young people in particular to read more and to go to their libraries and demand that they keep certain books there. And some of the books, if you read some of the books that they want to ban, you'll look at them and wonder why. Right. There was one, the author's been on TV lately, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret? And this is for a young teenage girl, but they want to ban it. Why? You know, it it's talks about the, the girls uh, uh, going into adulthood, I guess. And uh, uh, it's being pushed and kicked and done everything they can to. So, are you are you individually concerned about that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we would be at uh, remiss if we did not feel concerned about it, gravely concerned about it, because we know that within books, whether it be the journal, whether it be uh, actual textbooks, um, a lot of people go to those. Um, places to find information yes um we have our online component uh, that people can access um so it's very challenging and it's very concerning right now because this is america in in 2023 and we don't want to go back there's no going back um information should not um be hidden um the truth should come out in regards to uh, historical truth um, and that's why it's important that we have a, a significant role in how the narrative is, is, is controlled um, and that's the uniqueness of, of the journal uh, and we encourage um, any group to try to do the same but particularly for African and African Americans that have contributed so much to this great country of ours um, we don't want their stories to go to the wayside and we don't want the future generations to think that um, their ancestors did not contribute and contribute in a significant way because that would be a lie and we want to make sure that um, is encumbering on us just as the mantle was taken on by um, Dr. Fordham and, and the founders um, to make sure we continue that and we can pass it on to the younger generation so we want to encourage young people to get involved. Um, we know that this is sort of like the TikTok generation now. Right. Everything right. is videos and, and mm -hmm. fun and dances and, and different things of that nature. But at the crux of it is we got to make sure we have something strong and substantial to stand on, and that is our history. Because once you have knowledge of yourself, you can never, ever go back. And you, the knowledge of yourself, is going to empower you to be a greater person and to always rise to a greater level. And even if you have someone who may not have access to that, it will be encumbered on you to uplift them and make sure that they have access to that knowledge by saying, here's a journal, here's an information. Uh, and when we first started out, we started out in the churches, the black churches, going around, talking to uh, parishioners at various churches and asking them, could we have their, their papers? And that's something we're, we're going to be doing because um, 
Next year in 2024, we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary okay. as an organization. Um, so we intend to uh, have um, a traveling exhibit looking at um, the journal over the 44 years, some of the major um, themes and topics that we can put and put in an exhibit format. Um, so that's something that we're working on right now. We're in the infancy stage of that. Um, but we want to be able to do that, something that we can have the traveling exhibit and then eventually we can have it and, and as a permanent uh, exhibit, whether it be at the Buffalo History Museum, which are wonderful partners that allow us to have programs um, at their site and they host us, um, whether we have it at the... Um, house it at the Buffalo and Erie County um, um, Library, Downtown Library. That's something that we have to look at as a permanent exhibit. But we, we are excited um, because we know that um, African-American history is, is alive, is continually growing, um, and we have a resilient, we're a resilient group of people. No matter what we face, whether it be enslavement, whether it be uh, the 22 caliber shooting, whether it be um, horrific fires, where we had, we lost um, five, six young people and, and uh, grandmother, mother, um, or whether it be the 514 massacre of grandmothers going to shop um, and being slaughtered in their own community. Um, we have to tell those stories. We have to make sure that there is... Um, an outlet for those type of stories to be told. Um, and it's our duties to do that. And we are stepping up to the plate um, and we would continue to do that as much as we can to make sure that um, the journal is available and the Afro-American Historical Association of the Niagara Frontier is available. And for anyone that wants to learn and contribute to African-American uh, history. One thing we don't hear much of is the fact that New York was a state that allowed slaves to come up through it. And if you look at some of the highways that go north and south in New York State, those were slave routes. Slaves came up through Binghamton and Ithaca, and they came up through Elmira, went through Dansville. Warsaw was a town that has a, a large historical society. And I went and looked at it some years ago, and I was very surprised that they have information about what yeah, wasn't happened. It the, was it the Liberty Party that was founded in that, Warsaw? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just going back. Yeah. This is how things have changed. Well, but these were things that you wouldn't know unless you went to do a little bit of research. The towns in New York State were on the slaves' roots. And the slave, um, uh, what you call them, that come to grab the slaves. Uh, slave catchers. Slave mm -hmm. catchers would mm -hmm. come, and they would stay in the towns. In certain towns, they would get run out of because they were coming to get them. And mostly the slaves went uh, across the uh, lakes into Canada. And if you go into Canada very close to Niagara Falls, Ontario, there's a, a church there that slaves had put together, and they have a, a museum over there that I saw about eight or nine years ago. And I was quite surprised, you know, because uh, the Canadians, knowing that I was born in Detroit, 
and I knew slaves went that way. I didn't realize they went at the Niagara Falls area, too. Um, and uh, what's the name of the the museum up at Niagara Falls at the train station? Oh, that, yeah, Dr. Um, Lillian Williams was uh, instrumental in that. Um, yeah. And at, they do a very good job. Um, an exhibit there on, yeah, on yeah, slaves, yeah. Yeah. That was put up maybe about eight years ago, I think, they first started it. And so... The, the, the Underground Museum. Underground no, Railroad Museum, Museum yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, that tells you how ingrained the state of New York, New York is in, in letting slaves come through, and they lived and stayed. But many of them ran because this was the last stop on the railroad, and uh, the slave catchers would, would get them. And this was in right around the Civil War time when we had... Civil War soldiers, black regiments in that period of time. So it's something that if you do a little bit of research, you find it. And we probably, I don't know how many, we probably had at least one article on it in our 40 years. Yeah, you sure have. Um, and then, of course, we, we know about Miller Fillmore and him being president when— uh, yeah. Fuse the Slave Act was um, right. Was um, um, actually, I, you know what? It's a story actually. I don't think enough people know about. It's, exactly, and we still have monuments for him at City Hall. Yeah, um, uh, depicting him as, as a great, great statesman. Um, statesman. Um, but the impact that he had on African Americans, even local African Americans, because in the journal we had some stories of how um, slave catchers um, came and tried to um, catch um, and return some um, African Americans that had escaped enslavement and the the whole entire the community actually uproar and, and came to their yeah. rescue and Dr. Barbara Nevergo is working on an um, article right now and she has a piece um, that speaks to that um, but you mentioned something about schools um, and what's taking place. Um, myself and some of my colleagues um, down in um, downstate uh, Westchester, we have been working on this uh, legislation called the Amistad Law. Mm. And the Amistad Law, the premise behind it is New Jersey has Amistad uh, Law. Uh, New York State has it, but our law is very weak. So there was a proposal in the, the Senate and Assembly to make sure that uh, in all school districts um, will be required to teach African and African American history. And we also, um, the proposal uh, with the law was to make sure that there would be funding uh, behind it because the current Amistad uh, law requires that the the whole uh, commission and everything that goes along that, it's not in the um, state education department. It's somewhere completely hmm. different, which hmm. is, we found very alarming. But we learned um, over the weekend that the bill is not going to come out of committee and go to full Senate or assembly because they just felt like they didn't have enough votes which is very concerning, um, and we hope that it can be reconsidered. We had some great sponsors. We had lots of um, 
communication about it. Uh, the bill number was A1939 in the Assembly, and the Senate is S5334. Um, and we were working with an uh, Assemblywoman um, from Brooklyn, uh, Assemblywoman Zinnerman, um, and Senator Comrie. Um, both were instrumental in making sure that the bills um, came to life. Um, we also had conversation with uh, Senator Shelley Myers, uh, Assembly Member Michael Benanito, um, and we have brought in diverse st uh, stakeholders to try to address it. But that's something that's very, very alarming. Um, we were just updated last week, I think Friday, um, that it will not, the bill will not, in both um, chambers will not actually go to the full um, chamber, which is very, very alarming, particularly seeing what's taking place in Florida. Because um, if you do not have something, in a, a law that says that this must be taught, uh, what is not taught, and there's little accountability for it, then people think that they can turn back the clock on it. So um, that's something that is alarming. It's something we need to be concerned about as concerned citizens. And that's why it's so important that we have um, publications like the uh, Afro-Americans in New York Life and History because we have to be able to tell our story. We have to be able to make sure that our narrative is um, accurate, um, is rich, um, and it represents um, generations um, within New York State and the United States. Well, uh, our time is up, I'm sorry to say. It seems like we have a lot more to talk about here, and perhaps maybe we can pick up uh, elements of this discussion uh, moving forward. Melvin Watkins, one of the founding uh, members of uh, the Afro-Americans in New York Life and History, the journal. It still is published today from back in the late 70s, and uh, he's here with the current president of the uh, journal. And also, are you president of the association as well? The association. The association... Um manages the we sponsor the journal the journal has a, a board but yes yes so yeah. the afro-american um association of the niagara frontier so we you are the president correct you are and charles brandy and you have been with us today gentlemen thank, thank you very much for thank your time you. thank you for having us thank you this is buffalo what's next on wbfo and wbfo hd1 buffalo w o l and only and wubj jamestown your NPR station.